Our reading for this morning is taken from Matthew 27, 26 to 51. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved, him, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Good morning. My name is Samuel and my family and I are part of the body at Christ City and it's my joy to open the scriptures with you this morning. Injustice, inequality, intolerance. Repair, reform, revolution. What would you say is the biggest problem in the world? And what would you say the world needs more of? These are no small questions, but today's topic is no small topic. The crucifixion has been described as the most famous death in all of history, the touchstone of Christian authenticity, the very center of God's plan for the whole world and all of history. This morning, as we scratch the surface of the crucifixion, we're going to go through three things. Why the crucifixion was necessary, what it reveals to us about God's heart, and how it shows us how to live. So we enter the story in Matthew's Gospel just after Simon Peter, one of the disciples, has confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, verse 21. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Why did Jesus say he must go? Why was the crucifixion even necessary? The end of today's passage gives us a hint. Matthew 27 from verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You see, the curtain in the temple was a visible symbol of the broken relationship, the separation between mankind and God. So when, when the curtain was torn in two, it tells us that Jesus abolished this separation between God and mankind. Paul gives us a word to describe what happened. That word is reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, what we learn here is the crucifixion was necessary because it was the only possible solution to what is truly wrong with the world. Every problem in the world can be traced back to the consequences of the fall and sin, spiritual death, and our enmity with God being and living in a world completely corrupted by sin and in opposition and rebellion against God. For example, let's talk about injustice. Treating someone else differently just because of the colour of their skin or their family background or their income or whatever reason. The problem with any solution we can think of is that it will never go far enough. Say, for example, we found a way to overhaul the system, the economic, the political, the judicial, the educational systems, all the systems. Say we even found a way to get everyone to start off on equal footing again. That would still not go far enough because the same problem that plagues our current system will plague any new system we can think of, the tendency of our hearts to discriminate to put ourselves before others. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't take steps to address the problems where we can, but we need to do so with the awareness that any solution we can think of, any repair, reform, or, ever, or revolution will never go far enough. Because as G.K. Chesterton answered the question, what is wrong with the world? I am. You see, the problem is inside of us, and so the solution needs to come from outside of us. It's the same with existential problems. The apologist Ravi Zacharias often talked about the four fundamental questions of life. Where did we come from? What are we doing here? How should we live? And where are we going? You see, without reconciliation to God, we'll either struggle to answer these questions or we'll pretend like they don't matter. You see, at the heart of every problem in the world is a world in broken relationship to God in sin and rebellion against him. At the heart of every problem is the need for reconciliation to God, to be in right relationship with him, to submit and live under the authority of the one who created the whole universe, the only one fit to be king, the only one who can answer our questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, the only one who can empower us with his spirit and give us new hearts to live out his kingdom values here on earth. You see, the crucifixion was necessary because it was the only possible solution to what is truly wrong with the world. But some of us may ask, 
And rightly so. Why couldn't God just reconcile the world to himself without the crucifixion? You know, when, when we read accounts of, of countries who have gone through horrific conflict and oppression and genocide, one of the most delicate parts of the process of peace is the process of reconciliation. Because for re actual reconciliation to happen, to move towards restored relationships, on the one hand, the victims need to be willing to forgive or to at least overlook the horrific hurt that they've suffered. But on the other hand, there's a burning desire for justice that must not be ignored. As one person tra who travelled Rwanda two years after the genocide observed, the hatred, the anger, the grief there are so great. If there is one thing that I believe with all my being must happen, it is that before any effort at reconciliation can be made, there has got to be a means of getting a system of justice in place. You see, God couldn't just reconcile the world to himself without the crucifixion because wrongs have been committed and our God is a just God. That means that our God is a God who gets angry at sin and his justice is actually an attribute that our entire hope hangs on, that he will always do what is right and that one day we can trust that he will right all the wrongs of this world. But God's justice is also an attribute that convicts all of us because we've all sinned. We've all done wrongs that need to be righted. We've all rebelled against God. You see, what we learn is that what the world needs most is reconciliation, but none of us deserve it because we deserve death. If God wanted to solve what's wrong with the world, he'd have to sacrifice the only one who didn't deserve death, himself. He didn't have to. He could have just left the world as it is and he'd still be completely just. But thank God that he's not only just. The crucifixion reveals God's heart to and for all of us, a heart that isn't only just, but is also loving and merciful. Jesus describes his crucifixion in Matthew 20, 28 as giving his life as a ransom for many. You see, at the, it is at the cross in Christ's crucifixion that God's love and justice meet where Jesus paid the ransom, atoned, paid the penalty for our sins so that God's justice could be satisfied and so that his love and mercy could be poured out on all of us and we could be reconciled to him. As Miroslav Volf said, the cross is not forgiveness pure and simple, but God setting aright the world of injustice and deception. The crucifixion reveals God's heart because to set the world aright took not just the death of the Son, but the Son's excruciating suffering, humiliation and degradation. Turn with me to our passage for today in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting from verse 24, we read that after he was found guilty, Jesus was first scourged. Scourging was by a leather whip made of bits of bone and metal. The scourging lacerated and stripped the flesh, often exposing veins and bones and innards. It was so brutal that sometimes the prisoners died before even reaching the cross. Verse 27, Jesus survived, but after being stripped 
and mocked and spat on, as he was paraded through the streets, he had suffered so much already that he was too weak to even carry his own cross. Verse 33, Al Golgotha, he was crucified, nailed to hang on the cross. The person to be crucified would have been thrown onto his back, amplifying the agony from his scourging while pushing dust into his wounds. Hung up by nails driven into his wrists and probably feet, the victim's weight would pull his entire body down and in order to breathe, he'd need to drag himself up by his nailed wrists and feet, scraping his bloody back against the cross while insects feasted on his wounds and orifices, bodily functions uncontrolled, raging thirst in his mouth. But ultimately, it was the weight of his own sin that killed him, causing his own diaphragm to suffocate himself, as he became too tired to drag himself up to breathe in the air that was prolonging his agony. As one writer puts it, you become the instrument of your own exquisite suffering and asphyxiation. And the extreme torture our Lord suffered wasn't just physical. It was designed specifically to be humiliating and degrading as an example to others, a spectacle in front of everyone to ridicule and mock, while abandoned even by friends closest to him. But that wasn't all. Jesus' outward torture and degradation paralleled his inward torment as he bore the weight and penalty of our sins. Crying out in verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the prospect of this very ordeal that tormented Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sorrowful even to death and asked Matthew 26, 38, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And God willed it. God willed it because there was no other possible way to reconcile us to Him. God willed it because He's a just God whom we can trust to one day right all the wrongs of this world. And God willed it, my friends, because that's how much He loves you, that He was willing to endure all that just for you. So what does the crucifixion mean for us all? How does the crucifixion show us how to live? First, we must take sin seriously. Our horror at Christ's crucifixion on the cross must lead to equal horror at the sin that made His crucifixion necessary. But vice versa, playing down the seriousness of sin makes a mockery of the cross. Because when we trivialize sin, when we pretend it's not serious, we trivialize Christ. We end up with a Christless Christianity that becomes all about me and what I can do to reconcile myself to God. And we start down a path that will end up in rejecting God's authority over any part of our lives. We must take sin seriously, asking God to reveal our sin to us and taking time to reflect on, to lament, and to repent of our sin taking steps, concrete steps, to sin no more. My brothers and sisters, do we ask God to reveal our sin to us? Do we take time to reflect on and lament and repent of our sin? Do we take steps 
concrete steps to sin no more. Second, the crucifixion shows us the life of suffering that Jesus calls us all to follow him on. You know, the other day I was talking to my house church leaders, Holly and Jose, about their time as short-term missionaries. And if you haven't already, it's, it's really worth your time to ask them about for the whole, st- whole story about their time as short-term missionaries. So only this time around, Holly was telling us about how some of her team had had such a difficult time because of the different sanitation and the different food, and how some of them were literally sick for the entire six weeks they were out in the field. And after she related this story, I remember asking her somewhat incredulously, why didn't anyone warn you guys about this? To which she replied, well, everyone just knew that this was part of the deal. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, what what Holly said should be true for all of us because suffering is part of the deal. In fact, in in some ways, suffering is the deal. As Jürgen Moltmann wrote, the theology of the cross is not a single chapter in theology. It's the key signature of all theology. For myself, when I was preparing for this sermon, I realized that whenever I explain the gospel to someone, I always leave out the suffering. I'd explain why Jesus had to die, but never why Jesus had to suffer. Matthew 16, 21 again. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Here's the thing. Why couldn't Jesus just have been executed? Why did he have to suffer? Why was the crucifixion necessary? As we've already talked about, one reason was to show the seriousness of sin and the depth of suffering that was required to atone, to pay the ransom, to pay the penalty for our sin. But more than that, to all of us who would follow after Jesus, in his death, Jesus calls us to be prepared to die and to die to ourselves. In his suffering, Jesus calls us to be ready to suffer, and in his crucifixion, in taking the death of the lowest of the low, the despised and the outcast, Jesus is showing us our place in this world. Any other gospel, any other teaching that teaches us to expect nothing but prosperity and health and wealth and healing ignores the pain and humiliation and degradation that our Lord suffered and calls us to expect for ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean we glory in suffering for the sake of it. Because suffering is painful, sometimes excruciating. Suffering is embarrassing, sometimes humiliating, even degrading. Suffering is a result of sin and living in this fallen world. And we should never pretend that suffering is anything but ugly and terrible. But then why did Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, and are persecuted? Why did the apostles rejoice when they were beaten? Why did Paul say that he rejoiced in his suffering? Suffering is terrible and ugly, but as we submit to God's plan for our lives, as we endure the suffering that will come, we can do so with the confidence that God loves us. That when we suffer, we are participating in Christ's suffering. 
and that God can use something so ugly to make something beautiful. See, God can use suffering to refine our faith and to reveal our sin. God can use suffering to foster intimacy with Him as we lean more and more on His strength and comfort and participate in Christ's own suffering. And as the body of Christ, our suffering is part of God's plan for us to live out His message of reconciliation to the rest of the world, to declare and image our crucified Christ to a world in desperate need of a Saviour. When we suffer for the gospel, we're showing the world how precious the gospel is. When we apply our gospel to our suffering, we're showing the world how real the gospel is. If you've ever suffered, if you're suffering right now, know that God sees your suffering. Even when He's nowhere to be seen. Psalm 56 tells us that God keeps track of our pain and collects all our tears in a bottle. The crucifixion shows that God understands your suffering and while your suffering is a terrible thing, just as something as ugly as Christ's crucifixion could bring something as beautiful as salvation for the whole world, know that God can and will make something beautiful out of something as ugly as your suffering and pain. And for the rest of us, and this certainly includes me, can I suggest one of, the world, one of the reasons the world rejects our message of reconciliation is that for far too long, we, the body of Christ, have been running away from suffering and shame and even discomfort. Just as Jesus in the garden, our posture towards suffering shouldn't be to run towards it, but neither it for it should it be to run away from it. You see, in avoiding suffering and shame, in focusing on our own comfort, we often image a God to the world that the world doesn't want to have anything to do with, that the world doesn't want to be reconciled to, that the world sees as the cause of its problems, not the solution. Brothers and sisters, ultimately the crucifixion calls us to ask ourselves, what is wrong with the world? And as we survey all that is wrong around us, do we believe that what the world needs most is reconciliation? Our God is a God who would lay down His life and suffer for the very ones who put Him on the cross, who died the death of the outcast and, dis and, and despised, so that all the despised and outcast, even those that despise and cast out, may be reconciled to Him. Christ was crucified suffered and died so that we might die to self and live each day for the glory of the one who reconciled us to him. Looking forward to the day when there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more tears, when all wrongs have been made right, when everything has been made beautiful, when we will come face to face and embrace the one who suffered and died to reconcile us to his embrace. Let's pray. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's take time to first reflect on the crucifixion. That Jesus' body was broken for each of us. And that His blood was poured out for us. He went through agony 
and death so that we might be reconciled to him and that we may partake of this meal together, remembering what he did, remembering who we are, and remembering the hope we have of that day of perfect reconciliation in the future. Lord God, I want to pray for all of us that we might understand the depths of Jesus' suffering, that we may be as horrified at sin as we are horrified at the suffering that put him there on the cross. I pray for all of those who are suffering right now, that they will know that they are following a suffering saviour who sees and understands all pain and gives hope that one day all wrongs be righted and everything ugly will be made beautiful. And I pray for all of us that we may have the faith not to run away from suffering. Pray that if you think about our church, our families, our friends, this city, this country, this world, that we will see that what the world needs most is reconciliation. And that we would have the faith to grasp the joy and the hope that you promise us along the path of suffering, the images, the crucified Christ to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.